0: Hey travelers, it's Sparks Valentine here with
1: Erica Yogi
0: and
2: Foxfires.
0: And welcome to Dyson Dish, the tabletop RPG roundtable discussion podcast, where the three of us are going along on travels talking about three different topics every episode and meet some interesting adventures along the way that we bring into our silly discussions. So we really hope that you enjoy the episode and that you continue along the travel with us. So I guess we'll see you along the road. Hello, Travelers. The Spock's here. And welcome to this episode of Dice and Dish. I'm here with Erica. Hello. Fox. As she silently waves. And I said hi. Yeah, I didn't hear you. It's okay. <laughs> um, and we have two people that you've never seen on the podcast. If you're on YouTube, you can see them. If you're not, you should totally go to YouTube and see them. Um, we have the Casters Guild. We have the, the the host of that here. If you guys would like to introduce yourselves real quick for our lovely audience,
3: I am Guildmaster Rick, the editor in chief of the Casters Guild,
4: and I am Guildmaster Baron, pretty much just the face man. Yes, on an audio podcast. Oh God, what have I done?
2: Does that make you the voice man?
4: Oh, I like it. It does.
3: It 100% does. He's 100% the voice. Oh, wait.
4: Well, wait. Hold on. So you have a face. So I have to choose another body part. The voice comes out of a throat. So I'm the. Wait. I can't say that. Oh, no. Oh,
3: Oh, God. No.
2: The talking head.
3: This will be interesting because our podcasts are never done on video. So we can totally point. Our listeners over to your podcast and be like, "You want to see what we look like?
0: You can go over <laughs> here." As there so tell- totally was not a Discord menu that popped up over one of y'all's screen because I need to change volume. Right. Um, <laughs> so we're professionals.
3: Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Sorry about that.
4: You guys get paid? Totally. No. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, tell- we do too, just not very much.
3: Oh, yeah. yeah. Nothing to report home about. Can
1: you tell a little bit about your podcast? What is Caster's Guild?
3: So Caster's Guild is a geek culture podcast. Uh, We've been going for about four years now. Um, If you go back and listen to our back catalog, the first three years, we basically picked a geeky topic, had a guest on, and would just rant about it for two hours. But the most recent season has been the most fun. We have gone in with no plans each episode and just kind of talked about whatever was going on in the geek world that week so if you're looking for a place to get some geek news caster skill is your spot
4: and then i would i would have to say just to inject a little heart and soul into it this whole project started at the beginning of the uh of the pandemic and uh we pretty much just wanted to hang out you know keep in contact with each other and this was our way to do it and here we are like f- almost four years later, still going. So what M- must like each other's company.
1: Very <laughs> cool. So I'm going to do your lightning round real quick. I'll do Rick first and then Baron, I'll come to you. So Rick, my body um, is ready. All right, Caster or melee? Caster. Jungle or forest? Forest. Hex crawl or dungeon crawl? Dungeon crawl. Okay, Baron. What is yep. your perfect table size?
4: Uh, something that can fit six people.
1: Cosmic horror or steampunk?
4: Ooh, uh, both. I'll go with cosmic horror.
1: Roleplay or combat?
4: Absolutely roleplay.
1: Okay, all right. Should we roll the die?
0: Yep. Yeah. Go roll that das.
1: Barrett, it is your turn. Ooh. You'll kick us off.
4: Alright. So we're talking about one of our things? Yeah. Ooh. Uh, and I do want to say that I was totally kidding about the beetroot thing. We don't, we don't need
0: to do that. <laughs>
4: <laughs> hey. Um, so we're going to go with uh, running with no prep. Um, so as I've been told... I am pretty good at this. Um I ran a and d game for a year. Maybe yeah.
3: maybe even for, a little little over. For a year, the only thing that
4: I took into it was the notes that went ha- that happened in the last game. Um, absolutely no prep going into it. You know, I, I hate to say it, but some of my best games were actually no uh, no prep games. But I think uh, for something like that, for something like a no prep game,
2: uh,
4: it, I think that if you have, I mean, obviously it's going to take some good improv skills to do it, which I don't think I have. I'm just, uh, I, I don't know. I just think I get lucky with a lot of the stuff that I do. But if you definitely want to up your improv game, run a game with no prep at all. Um, don't do it at a con though. They don't like that. They they don't like that. No. No.
3: Nope. I think Baron's just a little too modest to to brag about himself here. Um that game that he ran a year for a year with no prep started as just like we were looking for something to do during the pandemic and because of the time that most of the group had available to play, it meant Baron was working and parenting and awake for 24 hours before each session session and then we'd have a session and then he'd finally get to go to bed. Um but because of all that extra time he didn't time have time for prep work either. Yet he came and gave us probably what might have been the best game of our lives oh. every week. Um and it all just started from he had a concept and he just let us he just yes-anded everything we did, which is what made it such a fun Game because as long as we came up with an idea, he was like, Yep, that thing happened.
4: I had to be awake for 24 hours to be a true yes
3: and DM. Rick,
0: what are your thoughts on running a game with no prep?
3: I think, like Baron said, it's a great way to work on your improv skills and it really dives into the storytelling aspect of whatever TTRPG you're trying to run. In this particular example that we were using, it was a Dungeons and Dragons game. Which can be very combat heavy if you just run it rules as written. And running it no prep, if you're wanting to do a more narrative heavy, less combat driven game, doing no prep is a great way to do that. Because with Dungeons & Dragons, when you do your prep, you're prepping encounters. And basically the story is what gets you to the encounters. When you don't have an encounter prepped, you're not rushing your players to that next thing you're prepped. You're not rushing your players to that next encounter, that next thing they need to fight or overcome. So you just kind of let them play in your world and let them see where the story takes them. And when they get somewhere, rather than throwing a monster at them that you've prepped, you can throw whatever narrative thing at them that you just come up with in that moment. Um... If it's your first time running a game with no prep, make sure you do some close friends of yours because there's going to be a lot of, um, I don't know, and (laughs) you're going to need that time to come up with something sometimes. But what we found with with Baron, uh, once he got into the groove of it, we couldn't even tell that he had nothing prepped. It felt like he was ready to tell that story. He knew what we were going to do before we knew we were going to do it, and he had something ready for it. And it's not, he wasn't prepping, you know, he's not psychic. He didn't know what we were going to do. He just, it seemed like he had something available for every contingency, but instead he was just ready to play with whatever we threw at him. So, if you're wanting to run a game, you're not the kind of person who likes to prep. You are the kind of person who likes to tell a story. It could be perfect for you as long as you're ready to accept whatever your players throw at you. The thing about running a game with a lot of prep, there's a lot of DMs who can end up resenting their players because they throw something at them that they weren't prepared for. You know, They're like, I wrote out this entire story. You just ruined it. I got to make up something new on the spot. If you have no prep, you're not married to anything. Who cares what your players ruin or run into?
4: Yeah, that was totally me early on, too. Like, early on in the running games. Ugh, that was the worst. It's like, you know, you put a lot of love into a story like that, and then it's like, the first thing someone does is, whatever they want to do to have fun, how dare they? And it's just totally derails your entire plan. It's like, well, now what do I do?
2: Or they teleport out of your dungeon. That was the only thing you had prepared for the entire session.
0: Not our fault. The only person you got was the wizard that could teleport.
2: I got one other person. Thank you. And then the wizard teleported both of them.
1: Yeah. I, I think, um, so just cause I want to like pick your brain here, Baron, like when you're talking about no prep is so like some people say no prep is like, there's different levels. It's like, I write down a sentence on a note card or, I have, like, a list of NPC names and a list of locations, and that's all I prep. So when you say no prep, like, what level of no prep were you at?
4: So I would... First game, first game ever, I went in with nothing. Just nothing. I just described the setting as it came to my head and hoped that I would remember it to the next game. (laughs) I would write some stuff down mm-hmm. um about like what happened in the game but then after that no prep when I started the game next week I had to hope that I are am reading these in the right context. I I was leaning on the players sometimes to be like, what was that guy's name? <laughs> Cause I don't know. But I do that when I prep too though. I I completely forget characters' names so that's that's fine. Whatever. Um but yeah uh but for the most part Nothing. I would walk in with nothing, just whatever I had in my head from the last game.
1: I think like no prep can be a. I mean, I think it can be a lot of fun. I've, I've definitely like ran a dungeon with no prep um, because I just didn't. Life gets in the way sometimes. Uh, I think you really need good players to do no prep. Like if you have people who are really new. And they're kind of like, they need you as the dungeon master to almost kind of like hold their hand a little bit and kind of guide them. I think that can be a little overwhelming overwhelming for new players. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like to prep. And I know like I'm, you know, some people were like, they're not and some people are. I enjoy the prepping when I run because it gives me it's almost like I'm playing game when we're not at game. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds weird, but it does give me like, it, it makes me look forward to game even more because it's like the way that I kind of prep is um, like Ash, uh, Sparks and Fox played in a campaign that I made for like, we ran it for a year and a half. And there was probably 20 storylines that I had written out that they didn't even touch that they could have, but they never did. And that was because they didn't, you know, it just, they didn't choose to go that way. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of like to prep in that way, like have a list of stories that they could touch if they want to, but if the path they go is kind of the, where they go, then I move with them. Um, And so I probably over prep, (laughs) but I don't know why, but I enjoy doing that. So that's kind of how I go.
4: But that, that's just it, though, you know, it, just like literally everything in the universe, it's on a spectrum. Oh, so, for sure. So it's a lot of fun to jump into a game with no prep at all, which, which by the way, I had at least two brand new players in that game. Um, And you just really have to, as a no prep DM, you just got to step into that knowing what you're working with. And being like, okay, well, I'm going to hold your hand through this, and I'm going to hold your hand through this, and I'm going to introduce all this shit to you, and you're <laughs> going to love it. So, um, but then again, on the other side of the spectrum, you know, you have the people who like to over, quote unquote, over prep. I, I don't have to say quote unquote anymore because I'm here. Hi. Um, but you put in all of that prep, and I actually think that that's where. A lot of DMs, like you were saying, get their enjoyment because it. This is a creative release, and you're writing. So, regardless of who does or does not experience these things that you're writing, you are still um, expressing yourself creatively. So, I can definitely see where the fun comes in that.
2: I. Uh- I'll kick it to Fox. What do you think? So, I've run game both ways. I have heavily overprepared like Erica, and I have done literally nothing because of my busy schedule and just showed up like, okay, I have an idea of X, Y, and Z you guys can do. Let's see which ones you do. Please don't do something that I have not even thought of. And... Both ways have their pros and cons, so prep obviously takes a lot of time, and not everybody has that time to put into it, and that's okay, you know, for all our listeners, it's okay if you don't have time, just know that there are difficulties with not prepping ahead of time, so like, if you don't prep at all, you're probably gonna have to pull encounters out of your back end. So, if your players are like, well, I want to go take a job and I, I want to kill a dragon or something, it's like, okay, I got to pull those stats up real fast. Or figure out, how do I get you from point A to point B for this random thing you want to do? So, things like that can can make not prepping difficult. Uh, the name thing can also make not prepping difficult. Um... So many times I've had players go off in a random place and they ask me an NPC name and I'm like, I did not prepare this name. I write it down three different times in my notes and I still won't remember it. And I'll lose it. It'll be lost to the notes. And hopefully one of the players remembers. Stuff like that can definitely make it hard.
4: I got really, really lucky in one of my NPCs who I was just like... They asked his name, and I was like, uh, uh this is his name. Um, I got really, really lucky in that apparently this character became immediately loved and enamored by the people who were playing, including my son, who now has a crush on this character. Um, so I've had to flesh this character out now. So he's he's went from kind of throwaway character to, like, main character NPC status.
2: I've had Thanks. characters do that, too.
1: <laughs> the name thing always gets me, too. Because I, I suck at names just in real life. Like, and that's one of the things that I feel like um, I've kind of been wanting to play with in, in game is maybe playing a character who just struggles with names. It's like, oh, because we forget people's names all the time. And it's like when, when we play D&D, it's like we expect each other to remember other people's names constantly. Yeah. So, I was kind of thinking about playing with that, but yeah, I can't come up with names off the top of my head, or they're just gonna be like Doug,
2: Doug, <laughs> it's just, oh,
1: Doug. Mm-hmm. I will say Z, mm-hmm.
2: a tool that helps me mm-hmm. is a lot of times when I'm running game of course, I run game online now. I have a random name generator at the go, just ready. I was like, okay, I'll met a random character. Let me just, okay, there we go. That's their name. <laughs>
3: yep yeah this is where gaming in this generation it really helps because the tools that are available for dms are ridiculous now and i'm not even just talking about the digital ones but i I think i should start there where you have your random name generators if you run into that dragon that you don't have the stat block for it is two seconds to google 5e red dragon and you've got the stats. Um, but it doesn't even matter if you find a homebrew one because that one could just be more fun. yeah,
2: Yeah, that's true.
3: Um, it everything is at your fingertips, which is one of the things that makes running no prep even easier. I've even had scenarios where players have run into a building or something like that that was not part of my session or not prepped, and there are dungeon generators that you can pull up and it'll give you a five room dungeon in two mm-hmm. seconds that you can you have a map for yeah, yeah. I think um,
4: that there there are probably a lot of tools that like some people look down on and stuff like that but at the same time if you're just running a home game mm-hmm. for your friends use those tools it doesn't matter just make it fun if you plan on selling this game maybe go back and think about it but
3: yeah But the one I really want to bring up is your Dungeon Master screen. A lot of people, there's controversy about Dungeon Master screens and whether or not you should use them. Let me be clear, I don't use a Dungeon Master screen to hide my dice rolls. I'll roll in the open and still use a Dungeon Master screen because for me, it's a point of reference. Like you were saying with the name generators, the Descent to Avernus Dungeon Master screen, which is the campaign I'm currently running, If you get the official one, one of the things it has right there is random devil and demon names. Nice. So it's ready to go whenever it is you need it. Uh, That campaign just happens to be Mad Max in hell. So there's a good section of it that's just the stats for Infernal War Machines. So you don't have to look them up. They're right there. And if you make your own Dungeon Master screen, which I highly recommend if you want to make your own Dungeon Master screen, make it dry Race you can change it over and over and over again. As soon as you come up with that NPC that your players fall in love with, boom, that NPC is on your Dungeon Master screen. Write down their name, write down any important details right there, and then you're not flipping through your notes looking for questions that your players have. It's all, you can pick what's most important to you and your players and put it right there on your screen. And that's just one tool, the Dungeon Master screen. There are so many things available. Find what works for you for your level of prep and what you want to keep as far as notes and references.
2: Yeah, kind of on that note, um, if you don't prefer using online tools, there's also, because I bought a few of them on Amazon, some really cheap Dungeon Masters, like compendium things. And they basically have lists of random towns, names, NPCs, things like that that you can use in those situations where it's like, oh, they went somewhere I didn't expect. I got to make something up. I know that
1: Chris Perkins has released a, I don't know how many names is in it. I printed it off at one point and I think it was like four pages and it even has like uh standard D&D races, just a list of names um, for like each race that I've kind of pulled from. Like I've printed it off and put it on my Dungeon Master screen and kind of done the same thing you're talking about and just been like, okay. And I just like, whenever I use one, I like circle it and then I'll write down like, you know, a little detail about them. Um that makes it easier for me because I just have that kind of list to flip through there. Uh, I'm sure you can find if you just like Google Chris Perkins NPC names list, you can probably find it pretty easy.
3: If you have Xanathar's guide and nearly identical lists is in the back of it.
1: Oh yeah, maybe that's where it they kind of put that on the website. Maybe that's what mm-hmm. I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that or, online.
2: Or one thing that I've used, um, and I just so happen to have it because I mean, this is also where I play D&D. I kick the Deck of Rumors a while back. And it's really great if I didn't get the chance to do any prep. I just find the one... Um, so there's one that's like City Rumors. Yeah, there we go. The big city. So I'm like, okay, let's see uh, what chaos this will ensue. Just pull out a card and see what the players hear about in the city. Things like that. Those can be great tools if you don't really have time to prep as well. Just all kinds of random little things you can do if you don't get to prep. Yeah. Deck like
1: that that's for encounters, for forest encounters. And I use it for hex crawls. I'll like, okay, you know, roll me a perception check. And then I just draw a card. And I'm like, you know, you have found like ruins and it kind of gives you like, a table there that you can roll on to see what kind of rune it is and then the players just you know you kind of just improv from there um, I do that with like my DCC group whenever we're crawling from one dungeon location to the next the decks are very helpful
4: they and that, are and that's, and that's all completely zero prep too so that yeah that's a great great option um, that I would like to utilize I need to get a bunch of random decks
2: now well, the uh, the Deck of Rumors has different styles. Call to Adventure, Big City. I kickstarted the big pack, so I have all of them. Just I random town things events, things. small village gossip, cities on the docks. They have pretty much anything like that. They're going to have rumors and like things you can find on the notice boards.
3: I mean, honestly, I, I know I, I brought up the discussion of tools, but while we're still on running with no prep, the The best tool you're going to have is your own brain and your own self-confidence. We've always, over at Caster's Guild, said if you want to play a role-playing game, you don't need any of the, the things that you buy. You know, you just need some dice, and even then, there are substitutions. Baron can tend to be very modest um, and didn't want to brag about himself for that game, and part of the reason I think running that game No Prep works so well is because he was running on No Sleep and didn't have time to doubt himself um so he was just going into it so if you're just confident that you're just going to say something it's going to work just go with your gut i mean just the first thing that comes to your mind don't doubt just go no that's not going to work just say it and your players even if it doesn't work your players will turn into something that that does
2: yeah i promise you you'll say something it could be the smallest most insignificant thing your players will latch onto that thing and run with it and the will. beauty
1: of it is they're not gonna know even if you make it up because it's all made up anyways,
2: yeah, I think like, one of the funniest on that note, the funniest meme I've ever seen is that meme where it's like this my players come up with the solution to the puzzle that is far better than anything I've thought of. that's now the solution, yep, mm-hmm. exactly right it's oh, like, yeah. I... go ahead, sorry I was gonna say i i
4: will I will one hundred percent change the story as I'm telling it. Just to make the story better. Also, I, I will fudge dice. I don't care what people say. I will fudge dice. One way or the other. Just to make something more tough or to keep someone alive. I will, I will do that.
1: I had a yoga student ask me once. She was like, how do you come up with stuff? Because we never run out of stuff to do in class. And I'm like, you know, oh, I plan yoga. You know, I, I sit down and I plan all my yoga classes and all my sequences. You know, and I did that in the beginning, and then I started adding up the time I was spending prepping for my yoga classes, and then it was like, I just need to start, you know, today we're going to do twists, and everything's about twisting, so we do a bunch of twisting poses, and it's like, they wouldn't even know if I just started making stuff up. I mean, how are they going to know? As long as we do yoga for an hour, they didn't know. So I just started, like, using, we were talking about, like, improving and stuff, and it was like, oh, that's a better idea to sequence it this way, because I thought about it when they're in child's pose, resting for five full breaths, and then I make something up. Because they're not going to know either way. As long right. as it, uh, you know, as long as it flows well and you hit the full
2: body, they're happy. It's the same thing with DMing. Just have a yeah. good time. Yeah, and nine times out of ten... If your players get to sit down, roll some dice, and be engaged with the story, they're going to have fun. Someone
1: kick yep. at you because you haven't been saying anything. <laughs> I know you don't DM, so.
0: <laughs> Hear me? Yeah, you. Oh, yeah. Um. I don't a lot of the times, but the few times that I have, there have been a couple where I haven't really prepped. It's one of those, like, oh, shit, it's happening right now. Okay, let's kind of look over it and go. And then does it turn out fun? Hopefully. Um, but no, I think there was one time that it was, there was really no prep. And it was the start of the pandemic, Gen Con got canceled. We had a fake Gen Con. And... It was like, well, let's have like another game the next night or whatever. We finished the night before and we were like, well, we'll do another game the next night because we didn't really have anything planned. And it was, let's play Monster Hearts. And I was like, okay, cool. Uh, Yeah, let's create some characters real quick and that way these are already pre-made. After that, there was no story prep whatsoever with that. And I was like, all right, we're just gonna see where the chaos brings, and we'll find out from there what happens and it was it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it there was a lot of a lot of debauchery and there was a lot of uh chaos so uh yeah, it was definitely it was definitely a fun time, but I at least like to have a little bit not like fully like paragraphs of things that are supposed to happen but just kind of like a general idea of what's going to happen in the session that's kind of kind of the prep that i like to do i take it in the same way that i do characters what's the goal what is their mindset and how are they going to achieve it so i usually do like to set just like a generalized goal of either something happening for one of the characters or just something in general happening. Obviously it can shift and change as you start playing the game, but just having those like kind of like skeleton of kind of a session of what you like have an idea of what can happen can go a long way in terms of nothing. So I'm not on the, the, the no prep at all train. It can be fun and chaotic. So,
1: See you have any last thoughts about it? All right. We'll see who the dash chooses next. It is Chosen Fox.
2: All right. So, my topic is dungeon crawls. How do you feel about them? What's your opinion? So, for me, I'm not a fan of dungeon crawls. I'm not a fan <laughs> of dungeons. I don't like them. They have their place in the story sometimes, I will say. But I, I hate dungeons. More often than not, when we've played dungeons, or even when I've ran them, it just ends up being, what's in this room? Oh, nothing. Okay. What's in this room? Okay, boxes. I look in the boxes. and Or, oh, there's rats, or oh, there's whatever in this room. And it can just, in my opinion, be very tedious. I feel like long dungeon crawls um, are very much like that. I like the roleplay. There's not that many opportunities in most dungeon crawls. Um, at least in my opinion, and from my experiences, there's not a lot. And depending on who you're playing with and your own intelligence level, like myself, I am terrible with puzzles. I will admit this. I'm the worst. Don't take me to an escape room. We won't get out in time. We'll die. But all just all of that combined makes me not really care for it. But I know that there are people who love dungeons and they love dungeon crawls in particular. I'm definitely not looking specifically at Erica when I say that.
0: Um, yeah, I wonder who out of the trio of us enjoys dungeons the most. Oh, look at that. The person that's looking everywhere but their camera. <laughs> <laughs> I feel but, so um, obscene.
2: <laughs> But, um, what are you guys' opinions?
3: Okay. Me personally, I, I love a good dungeon crawl. Um, and to be honest, there was a time when I shared your opinion. Um, but then I started building my own dungeons. The first one I ever really built from scratch was for a birthday party of mine. And I, this was during fourth edition. I had a whole bunch of people where when I told them I played Dungeons and Dragons, they were like, oh, well, how do you do that? I'd like to play Dungeons and Dragons. And so for my birthday, I found a way to run a game. And I ran four different tables with four different Dungeon Masters. And I worked out a role called Dungeon Judge that I put myself in. And I threw all four tables in a dungeon at once at four different entrances. And basically, as they would clear a room, the dungeon master would come up to me, let me know what door they would leave. I'd hand them their next room, and then they'd go run that room. And then if they ever intersected, the two tables would merge, and we'd have PvP. Um, mm-hmm. And the the story of the dungeon was there was just a, a really old wizard... Who'd lived a really long time and was just really fucking bored. So he just was like, I'm going to get a bunch of adventurers and make them run my dungeon for my amusement. And the party that got out alive got a reward. So after that, I found the real trick to creating a dungeon crawl that didn't feel tedious, that didn't feel boring, was to tell a story with the dungeon use atmospheric storytelling the first thing i always do when i start building a new dungeon is i think of that dungeon's ecosystem if there are monsters in that dungeon they didn't clock in for work that day and show up at the dungeon waiting for an adventure they live there how do they live there what do they eat what's the social structure is there a hierarchy um And you can leave little clues in different rooms that might lead to something they find four rooms later, depending on the the direction they start to go. So after that, I started falling in love with building dungeons, honestly, I don't do them as much just because they the way I like to build them, it does take a ton of prep work. And I'm an adult who has a job. (laughs) So I don't have the time to do it. But if if. I ever do have the time to sit down and build one, I love telling a story with a dungeon without actually telling the story to my players. Let them figure it out. If you've ever played a story that has a, a video game that has like deep lore but it none of it is explicitly said, that's exactly how I like to build my dungeons.
4: I'm not really a dungeon guy. Um, I will throw dungeons into my games every once in a while. Um, But If anybody's watched Star Trek, and you are familiar with a cave episode, my dungeons are pretty much cave episodes. So, the concept of a cave episode is, they use the same cave in every single episode that they filmed. They just filmed it from a different angle. So, pretty much my dungeons are the same thing, I just move some rooms around. That's it. I fact, don't blame I, I, you. Yeah. It's like the 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 one dungeon that I actually was very proud of was one room. It was a one room dungeon.
2: The one dungeon I was very proud of nobody did it. Oh, oh man. I feel like oh, we should go again. back and
1: play through that dungeon just to make Ashley happy.
3: I wasn't it's was too late there. now.
1: It's too
2: late now.
3: Wait, you you just have a dungeon now. Just put it Wait, in a different yeah, game. I have, just, a okay.
2: I have a dungeon. I have a dungeon.
0: Just make Are sure nobody gotta... can teleport out of it.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, now it has a now it has an anti-teleport thing in it actually. There yeah, you there go. you go. You could just run
4: it for me and Rick.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then we'll tell everybody how awesome that dungeon was.
2: I know, and then Erica and Sparks will never know. <laughs> we won't talk about it
0: spoilers oh well
1: I, yeah i i like dungeons there's really nothing um in game that i don't really enjoy i like the only thing that i i like dungeons i like being in the city i like exploring the wilderness the only thing that i don't really enjoy about game is shopping can be fun but like a lot a lot of shopping kind of gets old after a while um but I enjoy dungeons in, uh, you know, I am trying to be a writer in the TTRPG space. And so my writing partner, Kurt, is like, you're on dungeon duty because he hates writing dungeons. So he's like, you love to write dungeons. So I write the dungeons. Um, and I do. I I enjoy them. I kind of like, Rick, what you were talking about, like, I get what you mean about the environment and trying to make it to where like the environment tells a story too. Like in Ragnaborg, our Morkborg zine, uh, the idea is like Thor is fighting the world serpent and he drops his hammer into Midgard. And where does he drop it? A seer from hundreds of years ago had a vision of the place that he would drop it. So the seer leads the clan to this spot. They build a, they build a temple to Thor for Milner to drop into, and the moment the hammer enters that temple, the magic, the lightning that uh, Milner has in the weapon um, will reach up to Thor, begging him to come and gather the hammer. But it activates the dungeon, the the defenses, because only those who are worthy to fight along Thor. With the World Serpent, Darren Ragnarok, are going to be able to survive to get to the hammer to summon him. So that's the kind of, like, that's what I did with that dungeon is, you know, it's alive, but it's alive by the magical item that is inside of it. Um, and I think NPCs are important because you do have people who like the role play aspect. One thing that Kurt brought up to me because I'm planning on starting a stream I don't know when this is going to come out. I might be streaming at that point. I don't know. But we're going to be doing Temple of Elemental Evil. And he was like, flashbacks are a great way when you're in a dungeon as a DM to, especially, you really need to know your character's backstories. But like, have a flashback of, you know, when you were a kid, you know, if you're a druid and you see a flower, you know, in the dungeon in the corner, you know, as their character goes over there, they have a flashback Of, you know, gardening with their mom or whatever it is. Trying to tie pieces of the dungeon to a flat. It doesn't have to be all the time in every dungeon. But at least like one and just to give, you know, a break from that um, is a good way in a dungeon to keep it from where it's just like open door, you know, rinse and repeat kind of a thing. Um, it makes me think about Bioshock. I love Bioshock. One reason why I love Bioshock is because I love Rapture. It is this it's Ken Levine did such an amazing job with environmental storytelling. And to me, Rapture is a dungeon. But it's such an amazing dungeon, you don't feel like you're in a dungeon. Because, I mean, that's what you're doing. You're going from one area to the next, clearing out enemies, leveling up, getting better gear, and then, of course, you have your boss fight at the end. It is a dungeon. It's just an amazing dungeon. And there's, you know, you have your recording things you pick up, and you learn the story of Rapture via recording devices. Not really talking to anyone, if you think about it in the game, a lot besides the guy who kind of, like, Tells you, come here and there. But a lot of the backstory of what happened in Rapture is with those recording devices that you listen to as you explore. And it changes the way you see the environment, in my opinion.
0: I do not like dungeons. <laughs> at all.
1: Other side of the coin. <laughs> uh,
0: I, I find dungeons, a lot of the time, very boring. I am not a combat person, per se, when it comes to role-playing games. I enjoy more of the role-playing side of tabletop RPGs, of the role-playing game part of that title. Uh, But... I think depending on how the dungeon is, we've kind of talked about dungeons before. It was like the great episode. You should totally go back and watch that. Um, That's just the title of it is the great episode because all of our topics align somehow Um, in in that episode of just being like the greatest things of this and everything and we kind of talked about what makes a great dungeon and I feel like depending on how the dungeon is set up can depend on how it is different we're playing in a game we're playing in dungeons of drakenheim or no what is it drag is what is the name of it it's dungeons of drakenheim, drakenheim? Yeah. like I, the, the full name of it is something of I drakenheim
2: was, i just call it drakenheim, but yeah. i think it is the dungeons of drakenheim or okay something
0: like that that is basically a dungeon crawl but it is an entire city is the dungeon. So it kind of gives it instead of it's, you have four walls around you basically, and you're going down a hallway. You turn one way. Oh, look, there's two doors. Which door do you want to go in? Like, I feel like if it's something that's like how Drakenheim is set up where it is an entire like city, You have a lot more options. You have a lot more area that you can go to a lot more interesting areas. Instead of it being, we go down this hallway, we turn left and then we keep going and then no, look, there's a door. (laughs) I feel like your kind of your normal dungeons that you think about, I think just, they just bore me a little bit. Just because it's the same thing over and over and over and over again. And then you have like Dragonheim where it's an entire city is basically the dungeon. And it can change every time you walk in and out of it. Because you don't know what you're going to see. Being able to leave a dungeon is something that I think is very important with dungeons. Especially with dungeon crawls. Because it kind of breaks it up
4: i think a lot of the dungeons that were made at least back in the day a lot of the dungeons that were made and released by dungeons and dragons were made to do that you could totally walk out and then go back in
0: well we played through and i love trevor we played through tales of the borderlands
4: we played through
1: part of it
0: no we went through the entire dungeon I looked it but, up afterwards.
1: That that book is like five hundred pages. We but played no,
0: it, in it but for
2: like a month.
0: No, we played in it longer than a month. But um,
2: yeah, I think we played in it for two months, maybe three. Like two months, three we, or four. We didn't I, cover all of it.
0: But basically, but, but. basically, I think there was a lot more into it than just the dungeon, because we went through kind of the major dungeon of it and it got to the point like how where fox is talking about oh we opened this door okay what's in here like and it was i honestly i want to say we played in that game for like six months
2: we played in it for a fair chunk um definitely not just a month
0: like it was definitely half a year because then we started your game right after it erica and we didn't come up with that. Like no, no. It was, it was like was six, over, six was months.
3: Go. Everybody's gonna have what they like and what they don't like. Exactly. Based off of what you guys are saying, it sounds like you just need a better caliber of dungeon. Um. I mean, because I mean, I, I'm just saying. I, I mean, like if, if you if you're turning down, turning left, and it's oh another door. Turning okay. right, oh it's another door. It's the same thing over and over again.
0: But Look, older dungeons, a reason, though, were made there's like a that. Reason,
3: there's a reason it's called a dungeon crawl, okay? It's because adventurers were not brave enough to just walk down the hall and find another door because they didn't know what was going to be five feet in front of them. There's a reason right. every adventurer back then carried a 10-foot pole, a bag of ball bearings, a sack of flour, and a, a cage full of chickens because, in the yeah, okay. in a mirror... You know, what but, I mean? but, because but also
4: because AD and D is is unforgiving. But that's yeah, but, that's true.
3: But like that's it why really they called is. it a dungeon crawl because like you would literally inch your way through this dungeon because you were literally scared of what was going to be around that next corner. I mean, like if it's the same thing and you're literally going opening a door and just going oh nothing in this room, you need a better caliber of dungeon. Oh,
4: oh, let me let me tell you exactly how that sounds too. You ready? Oh, you don't like dungeons. Maybe you ain't met the right dungeon yet.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) But so like with
3: tells... I do sound like that. I'm sorry. (laughs) I think
1: think 5e makes it hard to be paranoid like that. Like I play play in DCC and I play in 5e and there's a big difference in the level of paranoia there is Mm -hmm. in players. I see it because I play DCC Friday during the day and I go to a 5e game at night and the whole like yeah my 5e group which is part of sparks and fox it's like we walk down the hallway open the door you know my dcc group is like okay so I dropped down to my belly I army crawl and I have my 10 foot pole and I check and (laughs) I'm not touching the door I'm poking the door but here's the
0: difference Erica they have you for a judge and you are ruthless (laughs)
2: See, no, I don't I, think it's when, exactly
0: that. I no, think it's when we system. played... It no, when we, No, 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 when we played in Erica's game, I was not that way because I knew the rules of the game, of the system, of what we were technically playing. I'm not going to take a chance like that because I know how, like, what we were and the stakes of getting caught. Some people didn't care, and they so, just went off and did whatever they wanted to.
2: So yes, but at the same time, with Five E, uh, with what Eric is talking about, there is a difference because I've played AD&D before, and it is brutal and not forgiving whatsoever.
3: Five E is 100% like, a hundred percent of power fantasy. Y-
2: yes. In in AD&D, and I'm sure DCC is similar, if you don't go in and think you're going to die if you take one step, you are going to die. Because you don't have the spells, you don't have the slots, you might not even have the tools. That Ain't no death saves in
3: AD&D. Ain't no death saves. you just dead. Yeah, there's no
2: death saves, there's just death. Your HP is nowhere near what it is in 5e. You also don't
4: get all of that back after a long rest.
2: That's Mm -hmm. another thing.
4: Now, I love five e. I do, I do. Mm -hmm. And, but it it, they're definitely for two different crowds.
3: Yeah,
2: because in five e you have locate trap. You have your starter set that has almost anything you could possibly need to survive in a dungeon. And even if you do encounter the traps. 5E, it's like you take four D six of poison damage. And, and if you AD&D, roll high enough on the save,
3: you only take half.
2: Yeah. In A, D, and D, you just die.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, no, no. You need a you needed a rogue with fart to be able to find and remove traps. And then if they don't disable the trap and they get hit with the trap, then they have to make a save versus death, which is like you have to roll an eighteen or higher.
2: <laughs> Look, I'm gonna be straight. When I play when I played A D and I had a sadistic DM. You were probably just gonna die. Didn't matter what you did. You're probably just gonna die. I
1: yeah, played I in know. a DCC funnel uh at Game Hole Con this year. And it was like after hours. This is like what I call my con family. And you know, there's uh one of the dudes opens the door and he takes a step. And I'm like, oh, like he didn't even ask to like look around. He's just like, I step forward. I'm like, what are you doing? And he, of course, steps on a pressure plate. You know, Spears come out. He's instantly dead because he has two hit points. And I'm like, okay, so this is what we do, guys. Because everybody was like, okay, we need a plan. To how are we going to get down this long hallway? I'm like, we're good. And I'm like, I take my 10 foot pole and I push his body. Uh-huh. And I just pushed his body all the way down that hallway, and yes. the spears were just like <sharp inhale> into his I, body the whole way down. And I'm like, "Look, guys, we got weapons now."
4: <laughs> I will say that AD&D is great for getting you to use other people's bodies strategically.
3: I'd behind the wall of dead
4: bards. You know how many dead bars I had in this bag of holding? <laughs> you guys are in trouble.
3: <laughs> Look, I, I don't mean to promote other people's YouTube channels on your tu- YouTube channel, but we promote this guy all the time on our podcast. There's a YouTuber called Z Bashu. He recently put out a video called 5e Players Survive an AD&D Game. Stop.
2: Oh my gosh, I have watched, to check this
4: out. I watched to that video.
3: that.
4: That guy's in my head. watch that video
1: i will i'll write it down right now
4: also best use of best use of 5e zombies comes from that guy too by the way
1: i'll check him out now i love both i mean like and that's kind of why i play in both um i i i missed the like ad and d right i didn't no, I'm not like I didn't exist then, but I didn't exist then, right? I didn't find D&D till ten years ago, so I have missed out on like the older editions, and the, that makes me because I love the hobby so much. I want to go back. I want to experience those things. Like I want to play, you. and it's so hard to find people to play AD&D with. That's like at Gary Con, they have the owl table, and I want to sit there and I want to play all day. But there's also panels that I'd like to go to um if you ever go to gary con you want to play ad and d check out the owl table it's great they play all day long it's like eight hours or ten hours that guy runs that table and it's been going on for years um they're very nice they helped me make my character last year but it's one of those things that i have missed out on that so dcc kind of scratches that itch and i'm about to start playing castles and crusades because we're gonna switch that way i can experience that it's easier to find people to play those than it is ad and d oh
3: yeah yeah, you I, won't get me to touch Thacko with a 10-foot pole.
1: Yeah, no.
4: <laughs> Not even with the Bard's body.
3: Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, if
4: I will say this too. If anybody is interested, if there's any interest, and we could talk about this later, anybody listening, watching, whatever, I have Dragon Mountain AD&D box set that I've been trying to run since I was 15 years old. I still have never ran it. <laughs> So, ugh. it's a bit of a dungeon crawl just letting you know
1: i don't remember has everybody talked about this one yeah. it's been kind of like yeah okay yeah. all right cool all right so we roll the we, we've rolled br- it down
3: we've we've brought the chaos of casters guild with us yeah no yeah. this uh-huh. is our podcast
0: guild every is time. Chaos
1: anyway <laughs>
4: well then we fit right in then
1: yeah. i have uh-huh. a bad memory so like <laughs> the sparks it is your topic
0: All right, so my topic was, or is, what else it was, um, the importance of NPCs. Do you think they're important? If you don't think they're important, why? And having them as an importance for DMing and also as a player. I 100% think NPCs are important because they can be very valuable in so many different ways. You can have them for love interest. You can have them for quest givers. You can have them for the big bad later on, whenever nobody knew they were the big bad and you're like, bam, big bad. Um, uh, And you could also, they could just be kind of like how you, like we, I think somebody mentioned it earlier, like they become a staple in the game. And it's one of those, like, I, I 100% think that NPCs are important just because it's one of those things. It's like, it gives the dungeon master an opportunity to kind of, they're playing, but they get to play more. Of like, if the people keep going back to this NPC, it's kind of like, well, if they're going to keep coming back, then I need to make a character sheet up for them just in case they decide to go out with the group. And to have things set up for them. So then it's like the DM kind of becomes the player, too. Kind of becomes like a PC instead of just the DM. Um, But yeah, I 100% think NPCs are important um, in a game. Completely, they can bring so much character to an area. A, hey. Hey. hey uh, Baron or Rick, whichever one wants to go first. I
3: don't know who's arguing that NPCs aren't important. Um, yeah, would, but but yeah, whoever they are, go play Fallout seventy six before the update. Back when it I had was going to make that joke,
0: stop. Because
3: holy shit. <laughs> uh, okay.
1: Be Look. honest. Hold on. Let's be honest. We all love Bethesda. We all expect a level of jank Don't ask and we question. just we just we just let it happen.
0: No. Yeah. Uh, Fallout 76 jank? is a different level of uh, janked and fucked. <laughs>
2: better, and there's jank Fallout 76 but like, on
3: launch. 76 got better, but like no NPCs whatsoever throughout the entire game. That was that was a mistake. Um, but just because I, I don't think anybody here is going to argue NPCs aren't important, um, I'm going to choose a different side of this argument. Yeah, go ahead. Um, just to be the dissenter, because there has to be some conflict here, right? Some sort of oh back yeah, and forth. do it. Um, um, okay. So there are certain NPC tropes and certain things DMs do with NPCs that I think just needs to stop. Um, so first of all. Wizards in the most recent Wizards of the Coast and some of the most recent adventures has had this habit of giving you a handful of NPCs that are designed to hang out with the characters and go into combats with them and run the adventure alongside of them and frick that Um, I am I have enough on my plate when it comes to running the game and running all of the monsters and the enemies and the traps and the rooms where I don't need to run uh, two player characters as well. Um, and like I told you before, I'm running descent into Avernus now and my party fell in love with the NPC Lulu, which is a holy fant. And I, I will admit right here right now. I hate running Lulu i hate having her there she's a she's a wonderful character i just wish i didn't have to run her um and then the the dm who's been dming too long and decides to make this all critical dm pc that uh plays along with the characters as a pc um Look, just just stop
4: sir, just don't do it sir <laughs> it wasn't for that trope, we wouldn't have that
3: paladin in the D D movie. Okay, it's it's true. It's true. I mean, and, you're not wrong.
0: Like, you're <laughs> not wrong though. But the wrong? whole
3: point that is a good joke is because it needs to. Yeah, wait, right. wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. <laughs> wait, wait. Can we
0: argue? Person. But can we argue though that Chris Pine's bard was a DM playing? A PC because the motherfucker did not cast an a single spell the entire fucking movie until it came to a scroll. No,
4: you, you know what? It, it was either that he, he cast. Or he first-time player. No, what? he
0: tried.
3: I mean, no, no, failed. he no, he didn't. No, 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 no he didn't cast it. The sorcerer did.
0: The sorcerer did. The sorcerer, the sorcerer, the sorcerer did. Chris Pine yeah, as a bard never casted a spell in that movie.
2: The only thing he did was do inspiring leader, and that's a feat, not not a spell. Look,
3: yeah, I I would argue that Chris Pine was not a bard; he was a rogue with the entertainer background.
0: No, he was a bard because he was a harper. No, he was a harper. So, you have to be a a bard to get into the harpers. No, you don't. No, you do not. But, but no, but that's his thing, though. He is a bard. When you pull up his character sheet that they made for that movie, he is a bard.
3: Uh, Well, then that doesn't mean they can't be wrong. With spells, that doesn't mean they can't be wrong.
1: Yeah, I think we should do we should do an episode about like <laughs> D&D movie
3: oh shit
0: god then <laughs> I have I'm to watch the out. old future D&D topic. Absolutely.
1: Like... future topic D&D movie the old cartoon because I actually oh, have no. That.
0: and then, the, the, old, <laughs> and then the first live yeah. action movie and then but you have, have the it. new one oh, I'm, god. Not a,
4: the 2000s I'm not movie.
3: God, yeah.
0: I'm
4: not a fan of five teenagers taking out Takesis. I'm not
3: a fan <laughs> Yes, I okay. know you, I know get you, back. you need to call it Tiamat, but come on. <laughs> but yeah, so yes, NPCs are important, but there's a lot of things that you need to do with them that, and a lot of things that you don't need to do with them. And self-inserts need to stop. DMPCs need to stop. Um, uh, NPCs that like you bring along with the group everywhere they go need to stop. They need to be able to come back to those NPCs if they, if they fall in love with them, right? You need to leave them in town, leave them in some city, and your players can go back and check up on them later. Don't, don't bring them with you. Um, just de- NPCs are absolutely important, but they're not so important they need to make up your whole game.
4: So what you're saying is, don't set up a whole scene with one of my NPCs that falls in love with another NPC Do it. and make a really graphic like love
3: scene um you know what if your players are cool with that but uh, i prefer i prefer a fade to black they're not yeah. cool with that at all yeah then don't do that no don't, 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 no don't
0: but do you do an entire scene just about your npc yeah, <laughs> just despite Rick, just despite Rick of all these <laughs> great grievances, but I do, yeah, I that's do when Rick
3: gets up and leaves the table.
0: <laughs> I do find some of that like interesting. Like I feel like when we were in Erica's game, none of us were healers. Um, so we had, I don't know if Sheila was technically an NPC, but Sheila was also a sidekick. So she I feel like kick. she was a sidekick I mean, That was a full cleric, they
2: but go hand in hand.
0: was she not a full cleric?
1: Nope, she was sidekick, rules only.
0: Okay, basically yeah. was so we could have healing. <laughs>
3: yeah, but she was a sidekick. Can but be, she was can be different an yeah.
0: NPC too. Like it but was. She, also... she was both.
1: She had a crush on one of the PCs and she would refuse or she would only heal based on how she was being treated with the party. So she wasn't just a heal bot. Like if she got into a fight with the guy she had a crush on, she wouldn't heal him in combat.
0: Yeah, so I feel like if it's something that's like... I, I do agree, though, like, having the NPC that is with you the entire time, like, start to finish, is something that's, like, a little, like, eh. But when it's something that's, like, it's not major, like, they're, it's not always, like, they're not a major part of the story of, like, the players. I I could see that. Yeah, because, I mean, I've it done I will do anything I like can that.
2: not
3: to have that NPC. I will do anything I can not to have. Cause I've I've run so many games, like I said, especially with Wizards recently. If I if I could figure out a way to drop Lulu and still make that story work, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Um But you know, it, it it's another one of those things where it's to each their own. Like a, as a DM, I just can't stand all the extra work to running that hireling or running that sidekick. I have had sidekicks in the game where I've literally handed it to one of the players and gone. If you want to have them here, you play this character. Um, and that's fine. Um, yeah. But yeah. the other thing about like, like in that particular instance, and I'm not going to say what you guys did was wrong. I'm just going to say how I would have handled that. It's fifth edition. You don't need healing. And even if you do need healing, there are so many ways to do it. Um, you could literally just make he- potions of healing more available, um, instead of them and, being fifty gold a piece and super rare. And um, also, I mean,
4: Baldur's Gate made it canon to throw potions at people and heal them. <laughs> they <Yeah>. did. <laughs> as, far, as far as I'm concerned, is D canon now?
1: Yeah, I mean they they uh they could have brewed more healing potions as part of their classes, like. So the reason why there was nobody who was, like, a cleric or a paladin is because they were at a, like, a school. It was, like, a, like, not like a, like a high school. Not like Strixhaven. It was, Strix like, Haven. a college. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so some of them were taking alchemy classes, and they could have done more, like, brewing, like, roles for doing that. Um, but, yeah. Uh, I do run quite a br- brutal 5e game. I've had people threaten to quit my table many times because their characters die, um, but so that's that's why we decided to do um, the little. Sure. But I gave her an attitude, and because um, she was a fairy, and so I was like, you know, if y'all piss her off, she's just gonna
2: leave. I think those little sidekick NPCs have their place, but they don't. It's not necessary to have them throughout a whole campaign. So, like in the one I'm running right now periodically, I will send my players to a place that I know is way too dangerous or they will go to a place that's way too dangerous, and I will give them a helper that is basically their you done messed up and I'm gonna save you this one time type of thing. And that's if they even succeed. So, like, when they were really low level, I had them Go get an introduction to a storyline later. That will my players better not listen to this. Uh lead them to the BBEG eventually. That thing literally could one shot them if they tried to fight it. So I had an extra healer there that would not get involved and would bring them up if they went down. But she was with them only for that mission. And also to, oh, crap, we can't win. Teleport out of here.
4: I think that's probably the best use of an NPC like that is a cameo. They should just be treated like cameos. And if you want, you know, put a lot of detail into this character because, you know, you're showing it off. This is a cameo. So they come in and they're like, I'm here to fulfill this role in this part of your adventure. Then afterwards, I'm gone. And yeah, that's perfect, I think. Yeah, that's for, pretty all much what anti,
3: for all my anti for all my anti-DMPC rhetoric, I have one NPC that has literally shown up in every game I've ever run. And that's what they do. They show up, they provide one thing, and then they leave because they're like, I'm too busy for this shit. Um I'm helping thirty other adventuring parties. And you guys are just, just one of them. Um, and I, I love that character. And anybody who's ever played one of my games probably knows exactly what I'm talking about.
1: NPCs, what I don't like about NPCs is having to roleplay NPCs talking to each other.
2: Yeah, that's awkward. It's I hate very that. very awkward.
3: Yeah, try to have one maximum. <laughs> 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 interacting exactly. with your player at any given time.
2: I hate it.
1: I hate it. It's like, you know, you're sitting around a round table and it's like, you know, you're there with, you know, the the politicians, politicians in town or whatever, the party's there. And it's like, you have guild master of whatever. And, you know, and they, of course, are going to interact with each other. And it's like, I have to basically role play all these people with. To the players and also with myself. And I just don't. I don't like doing that. I don't like role playing. With my. By myself. I don't know how to say it. With myself. You know in that kind of situation. I'd rather just have one. But you can't really have a political scene. If there's like a guild. You know there's like all these people from the different guilds. To represent you know. A a round table of politicians. Like. How do you not end up just role-playing with yourself?
3: Yeah, I, I agree. Playing with yourself in front of your friends is always awkward.
1: Yeah,
2: awkward.
0: I, mean, oh, I, mean, I, is. I was 100%. like, I'm going to say this.
2: It's going to sound dirty, and I don't to like
0: that. 100% playing with yourself <laughs> in like, your so friends is very it? awkward.
2: I, I think it. all of us <laughs> twisted it in our heads. I, You know what I mean. <laughs> all right, so
1: it is my topic. So my topic is gaming in the workplace. Um or workforce, however you want to say it. So the reason why I chose this is because I've heard a lot of people talk about they they meet people at their workforce, and it's like, oh, yeah, I play D&D. And then they start to, like, play D&D at lunch, or, or they play after, you know, after work with their coworkers and stuff. And I have had a string of uh, an odd... Jobs, I guess you would say, as an adult, where I work from home and I never saw my coworkers because I worked night shift and they all worked during the day. And I was just like this person that existed that didn't really interact with them. So I never had that kind of opportunity where it was like I could talk about game with my coworkers and maybe have that connection. Most of the time, now that I'm, like, now it's different, now that I'm, like, working in the TTRPG space, like, everybody plays game. But I was just wondering, have do y'all experienced that? Like, where you've worked before, are there people that are playing D&D at work or at home? Or have you brought anybody into the hobby via your work?
3: I would never play D&D at work. Like, this whole, you know, getting people together at the workplace after hours or during lunch um mostly because there's no way I could run a work appropriate game um <laughs> the the topics I breach I I just couldn't and I know there are people who love those type of games and they run those type of games they're like yeah I run a family friendly game and I'm like good for you um that's just not my style um however the majority of people who currently play at table are people who I've recruited from my places of work Um, it started with, uh, my friend Katie and her life partner. They are, um, some of my best friends and they play at my table. Then, um, my coworker, Daryl, uh, he never, he's not really the type of nerd to play D&D, but when he heard I played D&D, he told me about his son and now his son is a regular at my table um that i have lori who i recruited from my workplace uh she just heard i played dungeon and dragons she said it sounded cool i was like come over and play um and i even have another friend tyler and when i met him i was working selling cell phones and he came in and bought a cell phone and saw that i was wearing a dungeon and dragons necklace asked me about it and now we're great friends like that's how we met as i sold him a cell phone and started playing dnd with him. Um. So, I mean, as an adult who has a full-time job, that's where I spend the majority of my time. I mean, that's 40 hours a week that I'm going to be at my job. So if I'm going to play a game and I need players, I'm not going to meet them anywhere else. Um, maybe if I go to a convention, but the like, majority conventions I go to are out of state anyway. Like, I'm not going to meet somebody who can come to my house on a weekly basis. And yeah, I could play over Discord, but you start talking about time zones, you want to talk about scheduling nightmares, it gets even worse if you're Mm -hmm. talking about that. So when it comes to, like I said, recruiting players for a game that I want to run, I don't know where else I would find them except at my workplace. This is why I have Dungeons & Dragons tattoos. This is why I wear Dungeons & Dragons necklaces and pendants. And if I can, I wear t-shirts depending on the workplace because if somebody brings it up, I'm going to hand them a card and be like, yep, I have a nerdy podcast and I'm a dungeon master. Let's play. Let's roll some dice.
4: The, uh, the the last couple jobs I've had, weirdly enough, filled with geeks, but they're all video game geeks. So not really down to play TTRPGs. However, I have held a job where I actually ran a regular D&D campaign at. I was working at a game store, but doesn't matter, I was still running a <laughs> regular campaign there. Um, but yeah, that's pretty that's pretty much the only time I was ever able to um really bring anybody in from work, bring anybody in because of work or even play at work. Um, but there has been times where like I've taken someone from that game that I've ran at work because it had to be family friendly and I've brought them into like a home game. So there, there is, I guess that counts.
2: So um, it's gotten
3: easier because of critical role and things like that, because people see that and then they want to play D and D. And then when they do see my tattoo, necklace, t-shirt, whatever, that's what gives them the courage to ask me about it. Because before things like critical role, most of them wouldn't even have recognized that t-shirt or tattoo, let alone had the courage to ask about it.
4: Yeah, if I had a nickel for every time someone's asked me to teach them D&D, I'd have a shit ton of nickels.
2: So, yeah, similar to most other people, I haven't ever played at work. I almost had a game at work one day um, when I worked at an optometrist office because we had a day where our system was down, nothing was working, and we literally could not work. My coworkers ultimately were like, nah. Nah, we're we're not going to do it because the boss is going to watch us on the cameras and she's going to get mad that we're doing that even though everything's clean and done and but um I have had coworkers that I've had long conversations about um TTRPGs with at work one of them because I noted her um bag had D&D swag on it and so I talked to her and um so we got to be good friends, um, and then another one. I actually ran a game for them for a short time, out of work naturally.
4: So I'm just jealous definitely... of everybody's time to play D and D. God, do <laughs> <laughs> what? So I'm just jealous of everybody's time to play D and D.
2: I mean, what time? Time does not exist anymore.
4: That's fair. That's fair.
2: That was when I worked three days a week, and I could run, like, four games in four days and be happy and fine. Gotcha. That doesn't happen anymore. Now I have a regular five-day-a-week job. Gross. I know. Totally. (laughs)
4: Um,
2: But, so yeah, I've met people at work and just had conversations about it. I've had people just ask me, so what is D&D? What is that? Um, because I've got my Gen Con cup. It's got dice all over it. My lanyard's got dice. I wear my D&D swag as well, or TTRPG swag. And people will ask about it, and sometimes they're curious, and we have conversations, and sometimes they don't really care. They just want to know what it's about.
1: Oh, yeah, trying to explain my death save shirt. To my yoga students that are <laughs> 55 to 75 years old. Why do you have a t-shirt on that says Death Save? Why on the back does it say Meat Grinder Rules? And the Meat Grinder Rules are like down your arms. If you're not familiar <laughs> with Death Saves, it's Joe Manganello's uh, D&D like, t-shirt. They, they have a bunch of crap now, but like a bunch of different swag. I like his t-shirts. Um, But I used to wear like my Critical Role, like my Yasha shirt that like glows in the dark i used to wear that when i taught yoga and i mean like they they they're like oh well, she's she plays some game with her you know or whatever they had no clue what i was talking about they're like ask me like why does your t-shirt scary <laughs> kind of thing why is there a monster on it and my husband used to give me crap and be like you shouldn't wear stuff like that when you teach yoga <laughs> It's not very like yoga, and I'm like, but that's kind of like who I am, so I'm gonna wear it anyways. Because he's like, It's just you think it's appropriate, and I'm like, Probably not, but I'm not really appropriate anyways, so I'm why try to hide it?
4: Fair.
0: I, (sighs) my my experience is a little, I guess, a a little different. I worked at uh, GameStop for five years. And the you would think working there, you would get like a little bit of maybe people that were interested in tabletop games because they liked RPG games. You would think maybe they were, but honestly, there was it until Stranger Things came out and it got really big. And then Critical Role got really big. And, like, the time that I, like, honestly, like, from, like, when I worked there, I think there were maybe, like, I want to say four or five people that I would talk to that would be into tabletop RPGs, d Rick was one of them. Eric, me and Eric hung outside, outside of work. She, I bought <laughs> all of her stuff at GameStop because we <laughs> hung out all the time.
1: <laughs> but that's how you came to table.
0: yeah. Because
1: I went to the GameStop
0: and we started talking about uh we started talking about
1: Danganronpa Danganronpa
0: yeah you know? um but every job like I've had that I've kind of had like corporate jobs really so like I worked at a bank worked at a furniture store I worked at my apartment complex and now I work from home now but like everybody like everybody that I've worked with like they're not really like nerdy. I guess, like, one person I worked with at the bank, like, we were, like, we were nerdy together. We both loved horror movies, and we both loved slashers, so we were, like, kind of nerdy about that, and she knew, like, a little bit about, like, nerd culture and everything, but I haven't really had, like, a place now that's, like, I have somebody that is, like, a full nerd that I can talk to with, um that I talk to on a everyday basis at work. But I'm also, I guess you could be classified as like a secret nerd, I guess that's what they call it. Cause like, I don't really dress as like how you would imagine a nerd. Like I don't always have on like a nerdy shirt or I don't always have that on. The amount of times I was told while I worked at GameStop, you don't look like you would play games or you would do anything like that would surprise you <laughs> the amount of times that that would happen and I would be so knowledgeable about it and they're like I was very surprised that you knew all of this <laughs> and I'm like why? they're like you just don't look like it you just don't the look like of
3: judgment you get from gamers while standing behind a GameStop counter is ridiculous
0: and you're telling them things they didn't even know it's like yeah I know about <laughs> all these things this is my job <laughs> Like... Or,
1: or the person behind the counter assumes you know nothing about it, yeah. and they try and test you.
0: Like, yeah. a,
1: like I had a guy try. He's like, oh, "Are you betting the statue for your boyfriend? Because you think Cole is cute." I'm like, "No, because I like the video game." Oh, this is for you. Yes, it's not for my boyfriend. It's mine.
4: Well, that's even worse, though. That's that's not even like because I I have I have determined that nerds, geeks, whatever, they will test each other they will test to see what level you're on so they know what to talk about that that was just condescending that that wasn't even a test that that was that was trash yeah (laughs) Yeah.
0: but i think like i think it depends on the workplace that you're in though because like we don't my we're working from home we don't see each other every day so like i'll have like some like like if we have like a meeting that has a camera on like I'm like, God, I have to look presentable. And like now that I got work from home, I'm like, huh, T-shirts and sweatpants. And like, I'll have like an, like a nerdy shirt on. Or whenever we go like on vacation to a con, they'll be like, well, where are you going on vacation? And I'm like, I'm going to Indianapolis. Oh, what for? Uh, A gaming convention. Oh, what kind? Uh, Tabletop RPGs. They're like, okay, cool. I was like, yeah, and they try to ask questions. They don't know what to ask though. I'm like, yeah, it's like Dungeons and Dragons. They're like, okay, and then that's where it ends because they're all older. They don't give a fuck, and it's like, I'm like, where they're
3: older and they hear Dungeons and Dragons and they go, go, oh, Satan's
0: game, (laughs) devil (laughs)
1: worshiper. We are in the south, so yeah. You
0: know. mm-hmm. But I think it's a great thing though to have gaming in the workforce, like tabletop RPGs. I think it would be great to have something, um, like you see it a lot more now with like schools. I know it's not the workforce, but if you're like in school, like school can be classified as a workforce. Is work yeah
2: as someone who is in school, school <laughs> is work,
0: but they're starting to make like d and d clubs and like high schools and junior highs, and it's like you know that's great. I didn't have that when I was in school I was in a I was in a nowhere town that everybody had seven inch lifts on their trucks, and they went yee yee around the square and at sonic. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's true (laughs) erica
1: hey i'm right there with you like i'm from the same (laughs) home.
0: so like you didn't really have any of that
1: well we got one left i think we kind of touched on it a little bit in this one gatekeeping
3: yeah i kind of noticed the as as we were getting there the kind of transition um but this this is my topic, and before I kind of broach it, uh, I kind of want to give a little bit uh, of history. Um, one of the reasons, you know, our project Casters Guild has become it's come so important for us for combating gatekeeping. At least for me, is in my younger days I was a severe gatekeeper, um, and it all came from trauma in middle school. Where I had bullies who would pretend to be into the nerdy stuff I was into, so they could learn just enough about it to more effectively make fun of me for it. Um, and that was pretty devastating, so like it came to the point where if anybody acted like they were interested into these nerdy things that I was interested in you, I felt like I had to guard it. like I felt like I had to keep other people out and make sure that like they were actually nerds. And I know a lot of the people who are doing the gatekeeping, this isn't the the point of view they're coming from. But my point is, even doing it from that point of view it's still the wrong thing to do. <clears throat> we shouldn't be trying to keep people out just to protect our hobby. Um, the hobby's going to thrive um, if it's a cool enough hobby, regardless of who gets let into it. Um, the good people are going to find each other, and eventually they're going to kick out the assholes. And the hobby's gonna thrive. So I had to completely unlearn my entire way of thinking. And part of it comes from Caster's Guild, where after we started this little thing that was just supposed to be a hobby between me and Baron, where we were just spending time with each other and our other friends that we would bring on as guests for the podcast, a little community started to build up around our podcast, you know, over our social medias and our discords. And i wanted people to feel welcome in that community and i I wanted them to feel like it was a safe space and you'd hear on almost every episode we did people talk about how people were trying to keep keep them out of the hobby um and mostly because a lot of our friends are people who are in marginalized communities they're not i mean baron and i are as cis white male presenting as two people can get but most of our guests are not like we have women, people of color, uh, people from the trans community, people from the LGBT community. And I'd hear over and over on these episodes the problem that they had with these gatekeepers. And I'm like, this is a huge fucking problem in the in the geek community. And it needs to be stopped. Um And that's part of what we've made. Our project is, you know tearing down the walls and tearing down the gates and uninstalling the gatekeepers um and there's a lot of reasons to do it we can go from anywhere as altruistic as saying you know hey I want you to have fun in my hobby just like I have fun in my hobby to something as selfish as the more people who get into D&D the more cool D&D shit that we're gonna get Like (laughs) we talk about it all the time where like there are things sitting in this room right now that would not exist if there weren't so many people into D and D to where it became marketable or somebody didn't jump on Etsy and create this thing because they loved the game so much. So yeah, it's, it's a bigger problem than a lot of people realize just because they aren't necessarily marginalized. And they're accepted into every room that they step into because they aren't from a marginalized community. So they don't realize how bad it is, but it is if, if you're and one of the worst, and I I hate to even speak from this, this point of view, but like, it is my topic. So I guess I got, I just got to bring it up. Um, Especially for women in gaming. It's like, you were just saying when you stepped into GameStop and you got tested on your knowledge because you were a girl in GameStop. The GameStops, a lot of the GameStops I worked in were majority women who worked behind those counters, and I saw it happen over and over again. Bro gamers coming in and like grilling these women. And it's like she works here, bro. Like she 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 passed the freaking interview. She obviously had a good resume. Like she knows what she's doing. Like, buy the game or get the fuck out. Um like it it just happens so much. And the biggest biggest way to combat gatekeeping is we need to acknowledge that it's happening, let everybody else around us, whether they see it or not, know that it's happening, and then start welcoming as many people as we can to our hobbies. I can't really add to that. You you pretty much hit, hit all my points.
1: Um, so I, I don't know if you would consider it gatekeeping or not. I guess um, at one point in time, I was kind of gatekeeper because I made mean, an all-women indie group. I wouldn't allow men into it. I don't know if that's considered gatekeeping. This is the reason. And this is honestly the reason. And Fox can attest to it because um, she was part of it. When it was like... I think it was like 2016, 2017. Do you remember
2: when it was? It, it was around then. It's, I think it it's was a year quite quite a before years.
0: we started yeah. playing together. I know were it was, talking about I know it that. was like
2: a year before Strahd.
1: Yeah, it was it was a year before Strahd, so it was probably two or three years before we played uh Sparks and You came into the picture. Um but the reason why I did it was because I kept running into the situation of meeting women who would say, Well, I'll go to my boyfriend or whoever's game and because I'm new and I'm a woman They will move my miniature or they'll tell me what to do with my character. They won't let me choose. They take all of their voice from them. So I was like, well, if we have an all women's group and I'll run it, I'll teach people how to play and everyone gets a voice. And the number one rule is you don't tell anybody at the table what to do with their character. That way, everybody felt like they had a voice. So if you want to call that gatekeeper, then I have been a gatekeeper, but I was a gatekeeper because I wanted people to be able to feel they could have somewhere safe to play and people weren't going to try to silence them.
3: There's so. a big difference between being a gatekeeper and being a gate guardian um, and keeping people safe within the space. Um, I, I, I hate to use this dumb analogy, but like, you know, if you've got a wall. And on one side of the wall, you got people who look like squares and people who look, who look like triangles. And there are tons of holes in that wall that are square-shaped. Um, if the triangles cut themselves a hole in the wall that's triangle-shaped, of course, there are going to be squares who complain that they can't fit through that hole. But, like, you have your own holes. You know what I mean? That's all you did is you cut yourself a triangle-shaped hole. And, like, there's nothing gatekeeper necessarily about that. You were, if anything, you were cutting another hole in the wall that made it easier to enter the hobby for more triangles. You know what I mean? Like it's it it that's if anything, it's the opposite of gatekeeping.
1: I I have experienced gatekeeping. I remember the first time I went to our local game store, place that I still play at to this day. Um my I was with two the guy that introduced me to D and D, his wife and my husband, and we were walking in and there was people outside smoking and they were like, oh, what are y'all doing here? And we were like, well, we're just going to go check it out. I'd never been to a game store before. I had no idea what was inside. I just knew we were going to go check out this thing that inspired video games. And I loved video games. And so they were like, well, what kind of games do you play? And I was like, I play video games. And it it was that whole, like, they were testing us to see if we were cool enough or knowledgeable enough to even go inside. and. I mean, I was just going because I wasn't interested. Like I wanted to know where, you know, Skyrim got its inspiration from, where Bioshock did, from all these role play video games that I loved. And I was like, and somebody told me this is where it all started. Cool. I want to know where it started. Um I've experienced that. I've experienced someone tell me and my best friend that I don't look, quote unquote look like I play games, kinda like what Sparks got told, right? I don't look like I should be working in the industry. Um even when like me and Kurt, you know, we wrote Ragnaborg together. And when we've done play tests, or we've done demos or whatever, it's like, oh good job Kurt. You made, you know, I really enjoyed this. And he's like, Erica made that. Oh okay. Well I really enjoyed this. Good job, Kurt. And it was just like And I just noticed it. And he was like, he was like, you're going to get that a lot. And I'm like, I get that. And it's like, well, she made the, and he always tells people, she made the dungeon. I had nothing to do with the dungeon. And everyone's always shocked because it's like, he always says, um, like, we're kind of a reverse of a lot of writing teams because I'm, he is the pretty words. He has such pretty words. I have no pretty words. I'm Southerner, <laughs> and I talk simple and I write simple, and I know that he has the pretty words and I'm good ideas. And a lot of times it's the reverse, but in our relationship, that's the way it is. And it's just interesting because the more I've gone from like not being in it to being a player to actually working in the industry, the more and more you kind of see it, and it doesn't bother me because I'm. Like, I'm not going anywhere. You're not going to be able to scare me away. I love this. This is what I've dreamed of doing. But um, it's there for sure.
4: Yeah, and I think that, you know, it, it it's it, it's going to be good to get more people in into the hobby, into the industry like that. You know, get their foot in there. Get them firmly planted in there. So that when the people who aren't so sure of their footing in this industry, in this hobby, you know, we can be there to, you know, give them a hand, you know, help them through that gate that, you know, keeps going up inevitably.
3: And honestly, if you look like me and Baron, that's that's probably our biggest job, because the thing is, we can step into just about any any gaming space and be quote unquote welcome. Um, And then we'll see the actions that make people who are in more marginalized communities uncomfortable. And it's it's so easy just to sit back and not say anything and just go, well, I'm not doing it. They're doing it. But when you sit back and you don't say anything, you're allowing it to happen, which is almost just as bad. Um, You have to speak up and let them know that shit's not going to fly.
2: I know I personally have been lucky in the space. I don't recall a time I've ever encountered gatekeeping myself, although I've heard other people have some pretty rough stories about it um and, and in fact, I've brought a player into the game I'm running right now who she's kind of a first time player, kind of a second time player because the first time she tried to play the people she was playing with were primarily male and basically said oh you're a you're a woman you're just here basically you're just here to fill a slot. You don't need to talk, you don't need to do any of that. You just need to sit over there. And that discouraged her she didn't play for years and the only reason she played with me is because um my ex-boyfriend and his best friend we were hanging out with them and we were just talking about D&D and she was telling me about that story and I was like, "Well, if you wanted to try again, I can I can run game for you. And so we've been running game for uh, several months now. And she's enjoying it now that she actually has a voice. Sometimes it's something like that. It doesn't seem like a big thing, but to the person that you, as you say, cut that triangle-shaped hole for, it is. Mm-hmm. Because now this is a new hobby for them that they're... You don't know what they're going through. It could be a source of stress relief. It could be the one good part of their week. You don't know. And just something small like saying, oh, yeah, you can.
0: Yeah, I I will say I don't, I've, it's not like even full gatekeeping, but, you know, being part of the uh, OGBTQ AI plus uh, a lot of the times we can't, Playing tabletop RPGs is supposed to be kind of a safe space to be whatever you want to be, to be whoever you want to be, to play, you know, whatever. And a lot of the times I know I have felt this way when I am playing games, I usually play solely female characters just because that's the idea of what I like. I like having a powerful female character having strong, those are the characters that I loved in video games and movies. Fuck Superman. I wanted Wonder Woman. Like, no, I wanted that strong female, like, power. And the thing, because it's one of those, like, we see throughout all of media and everything, you know, it's always the man that saves the woman. Well, fuck, why can't the woman save the man every now and then? Like... And I—that's what I enjoy playing. I enjoy playing female characters because it gives that way, and also you can make really cool outfits with female characters too. I love fashion, so I'm like, <laughs> it's dress up time. Uh, but like when I go to cons or I go anywhere that's like that, I don't feel like I can. Play characters like that because a lot of the times when you go to cons, it is hetero, cis men that are playing at those games a lot of the times. If you play normal 5th edition, a lot of times, not like indie art where you play like Glitter Hearts or Monster Heart or Monster of the Week. Like, if you go and you play like 5th edition, it is mainly cis men straight men that's what it is so it's like you have me who is flamboyantly gay go to play in these games and you want, and you're playing a female character it they're like they kind of give you a look and they're like well it doesn't make sense that's Like, why are you playing a female, like, if you're not trans or anything like that? And it's like, because I like female characters. That is my thing. That is my goal. I like to make those characters to have fun and to also have that strong female character. And I don't know if you would consider that gatekeeping, but it's one of those things, like, I've noticed a lot of the times going to cons and actually playing in games, and that's how it goes, is things you can do in your home game because you're comfortable with everybody. It's like you go out and you're like, well, can I comfortably do this at this place? And a lot of times the answer is no.
3: It's a hundred percent gatekeeping. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, gatekeeping is basically just people who are already in the space doing whatever they can to make people who are new to the space or look different than them feel uncomfortable in the space. Like, the, the thing that really threw me for a loop um, and the story I get the most is females who are going to cons and playing in games with people they're not uh, familiar with. And the most common and the grossest thing I hear is people putting essay in those games. And it happens mm-hmm. so frequently, like ridiculously frequently from what I've heard. Like and a couple times I've even been at a table when it happens and I'm just like, what the hell is going on here? how is this acceptable and like i know there's been people that i've been played with before and when a female is not at the table the subject doesn't even come up and then the moment a woman sits down it's immediately where they go and yeah so anything where you're like hey if the game had this i'd feel more comfortable and they try to remove that or if they add things to make you uncomfortable that it's it's exactly what gatekeeping is.
1: This is like something that I experienced in the last year. I played a uh, a Pathfinder game, and I had a guy who, and I naturally, I've been told I naturally come off as aggressive. I don't think I'm aggressive, but maybe I am, and I just don't realize it. Um, but he kept moving like my miniature. It was like, no, you should go here. He kept telling me like. Because I was there with a friend of mine, and my friend was kind of helping me with my character and explaining Pathfinder to me because I really wanted to learn it. And so, and this stranger was just like, no, I don't think you should go there. I think you should go here. And he would pick it up, and he would move her. And I'm like, I appreciate the suggestion I'm going to move her back, and I think she's going to go here. And I would just kind of look at the DM and be like, and, you know, and I'll attack her or whatever. And I would just kind of like, I would just... I tried to be nice about it the first, like, two times he did it, and then the third time he did it, I was like, I looked at him, I was like, dude, I was like, I appreciate that you're trying to give me, you know, you're trying to be helpful. I was like, can you just, like, maybe stop? And I was just like, you know, just let me move her, you know? And he was like, okay. And I was just like, there was other people who had never played Pathfinder at that table, but... He didn't pick up those dudes' miniatures and move them. He didn't tell them what to do with their turn. He told me. And only me. And and I was just like, can you stop? And my friend looked at him and was like, and that's Erica. And I looked at the DM. I said, my character does this. She moves there. And it doesn't matter what he tells you, because it's not his character. And he stopped after I did that. But there are people out there that don't feel comfortable being aggressive or you know, uh, like that towards people who won't speak up because they'll be like, yeah, okay. You know, they're a little bit more passive and then it takes their voice from them. So like being like my friend, he was like, well, if you, you know, you could always do this or you could do that. Like when I would ask him, hey, like, can I use this ability here or how does this work? I think that's different. Like when you're trying to help somebody versus just, Almost like bullying them to play the way you want them to. So when you're playing at table, I see that as one way of almost kind of gatekeeping. It's like we really need you to move here, and I want I want you to play your character this way because that's how I think you should play it. I feel like that can be a little bit, especially when people are newy, like because they don't they don't know, and it makes them kind of.
0: Want to play again?
1: Yeah. yeah, I think being mindful of that. Like, being helpful is one thing, being kind of bossy is another.
4: Maybe being mindful of why you're being helpful, or if you think you're being helpful, or just... Or maybe just, I don't know, focus on your own character sheet. That'd be great.
0: Or maybe if you see them having a tough time, you go, do you need help? Uh, Yeah. And not just going, do this, like... Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, wording is absolutely can make all the difference. Yeah. There is a difference between, hey, I suggest you do this. Then do this. And <laughs> you have to do this.
0: Does anybody else have anything on gatekeeping? Nope. Okay. Well, that's all of our topics for tonight. Rick Baron, thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast we really enjoyed having you on where uh just introduce yourselves again and where can everybody find you so that way they can go over and listen to all your great content. And I'll uh, just, uh, if you like deep dive very deep into an episode of Caster's Guild, you will find somebody very familiar in one of the episodes. <laughs> God. <That old> <laughs> <laughs> well, now oh, you yeah. just, no, I'm cutting that out. <laughs> they got to find it, they got to listen to every single episode. <laughs> the I mean, plan. ideally,
2: they will do that anyway.
0: I know. I mean, chances are if you liked
3: this episode and you liked this discussion, you'll like our podcast anyway, especially the most recent season. Um, It's pretty similar. Uh, But yeah, we are Caster's Guild Podcast. I'm Guildmaster Rick. That's Guildmaster Baron. Uh, You can find us anywhere you find podcasts. uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google. Um, We'll give these guys our link tree and hopefully they'll be kind enough to link it in the description. Of course. You can always contact us at castersguild at gmail.com if you'd like to come and be on our podcast or have any suggestions for what you'd like to hear us talk about. And you can always join us on our Discord where all the fun stuff is happening.
0: Well, uh, everything will be in the description below um, with that link tree and everything. So, yeah, well, uh, I hope everybody had a great time tonight and we will see you next time. Bye. Hi Hey travelers, it's Sparks here. Thank you so much for watching this episode of Dyson Dish. We really hope that you enjoyed it and Go check out the Caster's Guild um, on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your podcast at. They were amazing to have on, and we completely enjoyed having them. Um, make sure that you check out our next episode, which will be coming out March 15th. So, yeah, we hope that you enjoyed. Bye.